welcome. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to share, listen, and learn. This is my favorite coffee story with your host, Aniko Samoji. You'll hear about the stories about coffee itself, the history, health benefits, recipes, and more, along with some personal stories inspired by coffee and the lifestyle. Now, here is Aniko Somoji. Welcome to My Favorite Coffee Story. We are live from Anikona Farm in beautiful Hulualoa, Hawaii, right above Kona, and we love sharing coffee stories and stories that really weave our lives together. And we have a very special guest today. Um, first, let me mention that at Anikona Farm, when we have our big breakfasts, our big farm breakfasts, and we're having a fresh cup of coffee, those are those times when just reminds me of my grandfather who used to always remind us that it's important to work hard in life and also make sure you take time to share with your family and friends and loved ones, often over a good cup of coffee. Today, I'd like to welcome all of you, welcome all of our Anikona friends, uh, whether you're in Seattle, in San Francisco, in Houston, Texas, Finland, Hungary, New Zealand, China, we just want to welcome you and I'm so delighted you're here. And today we have a very special guest. He is a James Beard award-winning chef. He's the executive chef and creative director of Coffee Flower, has just recently opened his highly acclaimed restaurant, The Lake House in Bellevue, Washington. Chef Jason Wilson is with us here from Seattle. Welcome, Chef Jason. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure and honor to be with you today and to share my experiences and, um, you know, perspective. Well, it's wonderful you're here, and I know you are so kind to take time from your busy schedule opening the Lake House, a very special Northwest farmhouse-style restaurant, elegant. Um, but first, if, if you could tell us, please, Chef Jason, about your journey as a chef and maybe even your first coffee story. You know, my uh, first coffee story comes actually when I was living in Lahaina, uh, just around 18, 19 years old. And there I had this, uh, and it was this fantastic meal, um, day off type of thing. I was working with uh, a good buddy of mine as a chef, and I was just a uh, comey. And he said at the end of the meal, end of a long dinner in Lahaina, he said, hey, you know, you should have tried a shot of espresso. And I didn't understand why. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, after a little bit, I was like, whoa, this is really something. And, um, you know, that started, uh, I guess, 30 years later where I still enjoy coffee on a daily basis. That's an amazing story. So you ended up in Hawaii. This was in the 1980s. Is that right? Yes. I, well, technically it was 89 and 90. So just in the cusp of that, and- yeah. Yes, yes. And so when you were there and that coffee, the espresso, somehow really connected with you, how did you go from there? You know, um, I think it was just a matter of wherever I went, I, you know, coffee was around us. And so, I, I, you know, just like with food, I tend to evolve my taste and evolve my experiences and, and dive more into it. Yes. So, you know, espresso was sort of an interesting thing in 89. It was still kind of a first thing. Uh, do you still keep in touch with your friend who shared that espresso cup with you? I, I don't, unfortunately, but, you know, I think, a, I don't know, hundreds of cups since then. I know it's evolved <laughs> into a, a lifelong love for me, but yeah, we, I don't see it much anymore. And, and uh, you know, it was Hawaii at that time was more almost a bus stop in my life. It was very influential and experiential, but uh, really inspired me quite a bit. But uh, I think, you know, I knew that there was other things out there for me. And, you know, I still get to come back to Hawaii for work and and pleasure, obviously, but um, not to be able to live, unfortunately. 
Well, and we hope you'll come see us at Anikona Farm sometime on the Big Island, definitely. With We'll welcome you with lots of aloha, Chef Jason. So then, how did you decide to go to culinary school? Well, you know, when I was living in Lahaina, I, I, I left with a goal of one day being a chef in my own restaurant. And I realized two things, but ultimately three. I realized that I needed to, to learn how to be a a chef, and so I properly schooled chef, and then I need to learn how to run a business. But the third thing I realized is that I knew neither of those, um, you know, <laughs> leaving Lahaina and going back to the mainland. So I went back to uh, college and spent two years there, and then um, 16 months at the California Culinary Academy in San Francisco. And so uh, I kind of, you know, doubled up and, and knocked out both those things as fast as I could. Well, that's fantastic. What were the elements of culinary school that you loved the most? I mean, I, I kind of dove head first into it. So I, I've always been very competitive. I really enjoy all aspects of it. You know, from a pleasure standpoint, it was clearly wine tasting and um, pastry class because I just love eating the chocolate and pastry. <laughs> However, um, from a learning standpoint, you know, it was not one bit of the experience that I didn't fully enjoy. It's a difficult one, but ultimately it was uh, very rewarding as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So then after culinary school or academy in San Francisco, what were your next steps after that? You know, my my desire was to learn and experience as much as I could as quick as possible and really dive in. So along in that spirit, I worked for some of the better chefs in San Francisco um, you know, a guy named Roland Passot at La Folie, uh, I spent a little time there. My mentor right. um, became uh, Albert Torjman from the Flying Saucer. The mid-90s, he was a very, uh, just a tour de force there. Um, I yes. worked for Michael Mina and ultimately Jeremiah Tower as well. <laughs> and so, you know, I really want to work my way around the city. And um, after working for Jeremiah for just a short time in San Francisco, I had the opportunity to sell everything and move to uh, Singapore and help open up that outpost of Star's Restaurant. And uh, oh. let me tell you what, it was very, very interesting there because, you know, I got to watch the beginnings of coffee um, influence and culture, let's say, in, uh, in Southeast Asia. Oh, that's fascinating. Share a little bit about that, please, Chef Jason, some of those elements. So at Stars, um, the company that owns Stars in Singapore, uh, that company actually, uh, they also own Spinelli Coffee. So it was a smaller coffee roaster from San Francisco, and we, our bakery in, in Stars in Singapore, end up doing all of the baked goods for there. So we kind of watched that happen, and then simultaneously, about six months after opening um, the Stars restaurant, we we went in and watched um, Starbucks open up subsequently around it. And so we, it was really? funny because the expats and, and myself and my, my girlfriend at the time who's a pastry chef, we all knew we were going to go in there and order that latte or that ice latte because it's a hot place <laughs> or that cappuccino. But we watched a lot of the local crowd come in and go, you know, I want more sugar. I want this sweeter. I want this with more chocolate. And, you know, yes. they, they weren't really adept and maybe interested in the bitter or tannic or sometimes acidic notes that some coffees will carry where that was desired right. by us. So yeah, it was, it was a fascinating experience. And we got to watch that, you know, grow and clearly obviously today it's a totally different market. Definitely. Were some of those uh, recipes that you learned in Singapore, are those some things that you still even sort of weave into your current menu yeah, I'd say they are actually, um, but with, you know, some limitations. So I, I look yes. at the use of curried spices and satay spices, and I learn in Indonesia techniques that I learned in Thailand and in my cooking in Vietnam. Um, all of these things I weave into it, but very limited uh, amounts. And by that, I mean, it, it's, you know, I won't overtly do a Thai dish or an Indonesian dish but I might season a fish with a little bit of a, a satay from Indonesia or season uh, cauliflower with a particular spice blend that I learned from uh, Malaysia, for instance. Um, Thailand, for instance, became a real big um, influence. And that's, you know, Southeast Asia has all of these cultures. 
um, you know, the blending of fresh and spicy and sweet, acidic, um, all of these things together and then having the different textures. I mean, that I think is a way in which I really enjoy to cook today. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I love all your special seasonings and making your dishes just so special and unique. Uh, as you were evolving there at Stars and you were in Singapore, how would you describe what you were feeling like, what it was meaning to you to be a chef? You, you know, I think it, it, there was a big... There's a big era of growth there, and I think that happens for some chefs, um, but many, for many people as well, where, you know, I was going from um, uh, being a real hot dog cook and someone that could, could cook a lot of good food and really perform under pressure to learning the ability to not only coach and lead um, a, a team of people, but even more challenging, a team of people that had a completely different ideal culture and living style that I did. I mean, yes. living in Southeast Asia taught me to, um, to revere, uh, um, you know, humility and to have a sense of patience with people. Um, ultimately to put myself, uh, second and other people first, um, in particular was a way in which I learned to, to be successful, uh, in those kitchens. And so, well, it, it I learned much with cuisine. I mean, it was a fortunate time as a cook as well because all of the uh, aunties, you know, the single older ladies that would teach you how to cook and, you know, they, yes. they knew all of the old recipes handed down from generation to generation. Um, so learning to cook was amazing there, but um, subsequently learning to manage uh, was much more of a powerful experience. Oh, absolutely. And I can imagine those are things every day you're actually bringing forward to that experience in Singapore is with you every day as you're managing the team now, which is great. Uh, when you when that Starbucks opened uh, and people were starting to flock to Starbucks and hang out there, uh, did you find that there was sort of a little coffee culture developing around that Starbucks there in Singapore? Yeah, it was interesting. You know, there's not a lot of space. And so retail space, you know, and, and kind of that quote unquote third space that Starbucks had created when we were in Singapore, sorry, in, uh, in San Francisco, when we yes. saw it in Singapore, it was more of a retail space. But what did happen is that they poured, they would get their their drink and then pour out into the common areas. So tables and, you know, kind of outdoor areas and that was a place that we saw that culture, you know, start to develop. And it's very interesting. And it was, oh, it was also like a little bit of home because, you know, I had been to Europe before, a couple times before to Paris. And I, that is a part of culture that I just, uh, I hold very dear. So seeing that in Asia was almost a level of familiarity. So it was also very, very um, enjoyable, I guess. Right. What what was the favorite pastry that Starbucks was selling at the time? Or maybe they weren't. I'm not quite sure. But in, in terms of complementing coffee. Or- oh, God, you know, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you because we rarely ever ate the pastries. <laughs> we, we were running Spinelli coffee at the same time. And so we, we knew and we intimately, we intimately knew the pastries there. And made them on a day in day out basis. We had a twenty four seven bakery operation going on, so we we fed nine different stores um, pastries on a daily basis. So yeah, we we would definitely um, you know kind of hunker in and eat the stuff that were coming out of our bakery. But I'll tell you, one of my favorite things that we had there um, was this. Uh, we call it monkey muffins, but it was you know like roasted macadamias with coconut. Um, roasted oh. bananas, and then little chips of dark and bittersweet chocolate. And then we took um, espresso grind and just kind of, you know, ground it in there as well. And so you had this, you know, somewhat healthy but really delicious crunchy muffin. And uh, that was the morning time thing we really enjoyed. Oh, that sounds incredible. Sounds wonderful. What do you think about pairing uh, coffee and chocolate together? I mean, pairing, that is a natural affinity. I think it's more, I look to nature for that. Um, You know, coffee and chocolate grow in the same regions, the equatorial regions. 
um, just the, the pairing themselves, it, it is like, I guess it is unlike wine and cheese, but it's just like the perfect affinity like many wines and cheese can be. So, And, and I suppose that, that can be said because the terroir of the, the grapes, you know, the terroir of the growing region is also where the, the cows eat the grass. So maybe that is part of it too. Right, right. Oh, this is so exciting. We can hear a little bit more about your specific menu and recipes and what it's like to open a restaurant. So when we're back, we're just going to take a quick break. And we are here enjoying a wonderful chat and sharing coffee stories with the James Beard award-winning chef, Uh, Chef Jason Wilson, and we will be back quickly. Don't go away. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the Lake House restaurant that Chef Jason just opened. Stay tuned. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. listening to my favorite coffee story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to my favorite coffee story. We have been chatting with a very special guest, Chef Jason Wilson, who's a James Beard Award-winning chef and executive chef uh, and creative director of Coffee Flower. Now, Chef Jeff Jason has just opened up an amazing, highly acclaimed restaurant in Bellevue, Washington at the Hotel W uh, called The Lake House. And we get to talk a little bit more, uh, please, Chef Jason, about how that's been going and uh, what it's like to open a restaurant. Please tell us. Uh, yeah, we may have to, to get a couple more episodes, I think, because there's so much to share. I mean, just so much. Um, let me tell you, uh, to, well, to, to your point or your question about what it's like, it, you know, I think the way I approach it is that opening this place and, and any of the restaurants I've opened are very much all-consuming. Um, and that really is, you know, a, a little bit of the valiance of, you know, let's do a lot of work and get in there and do it. But um, for me, I like to really tell a story and tell an authentic story. And in order to do that, you know, I, we, we make sure every detail has a part in that story, that would they have a level of authenticity for what we're delivering. And, and ultimately, we're, we're bringing about a, a service experience and a food experience that people go, wow, this is, this is really something interesting. And, you know, hopefully get them back in again. So, yeah, it's been a, 
It's been a whirlwind three months, um, but it's actually been two and a half years in the making. Yes. Well, and so tell us how you first then conceived of the idea two and a half years ago. You know, I, I was approached by um, the, some of the developers involved in this big uh, W project and uh, Lincoln Square Tower here in Bellevue. And, uh, and they said, well, what would you do? And so I, I looked around and the opportunity to create a restaurant in a style of cooking and say even a, a concept that really focused on Bellevue's roots. So this is a, a city just east of Washington, and it has its roots, um, you know, on the lake, on Lake Washington, but uh, it has its roots really in farming, and in particular, um, you know, berries, lettuces, uh, herbs, greeneries. And, um, and, and up until the past, actually, 40 years, 50 years, this area was uh, was just really had a lot of farming going on. So I said, let's let's do a concept where the produce comes first, where the produce tells the story. Seasonal, locally raised produce is what we talk about, and then we you know catch up with featuring some of the local shellfish and seafoods that we offer, and then pick up a really nice you know, piece of meat or two along the way. That's again area in this area. But uh, out of that came this uh, this idea of a modern Northwest farmhouse, and that's what the lake house is today. So it's, uh, it's it, we we've brought together a lot of artisans, we brought together a lot of craftsmen to do the, not only the you know the servers attire, the cooks attire, but the really important pieces of steak knives and and ceramics and plates that we use. Um, also, obviously, a lot of the people that are, are involved, you know, very collaboratively. Are, local individuals that, you know, we wanted to have as part of this team. So it's quite the undertaking, but I tell you, um, we, I really wanted something, you know, when I started this process two and a half years ago, that was authentic, that people could say, oh, that's, that is about this place and not about anywhere else. So it's a, it's a story we've been trying to weave for a couple of years now. And then we've been open for six weeks today of all days. And um, six weeks ago, we started, and so far, the response has been just overwhelming. So really good. Well, it sounds like all that authenticity and all the love and care over the last two and a half years and all the amazing thought and efforts and every decision that you're making in the artisans really does tell the authentic story that you're hoping and people really enjoy that and appreciate that. And I'm so happy that it's going so well for you. Um, you know, I, I took a look at your lovely website and, you know, your menu looks amazing. How did you plan that menu, Chef Jason? Uh, you know, again, it goes back to how we, you know, we want the produce to lead the way. And so, uh, I think we, we look at it and said, I, I want people, I, I want a, a simple question to be at the root of how we operate in the restaurant. And so as I described the, the core and the design and, and the way we use the space to my teams, I said at, at every juncture where you have a question of, should I do this or should I not? Um, or how do I do this? Or how best do I approach this? Whatever that may be, the question you ask is, would I do this in my lake house? Would I do this if I had my summer home? How would I do this if this was my weekend home? And the answer then will come to you and it'll be, it'll be genuine, it'll be real. So I, I look at it and say, well, look, you know, if we had a, a summer home and, or a weekend house or it was that lake house, that modern farmhouse I lived in, I would gather everything from the garden first and that would dictate what I was going to make or potentially conversely. I knew that, you know, I was going to go to the market and get a big chicken or a really great piece of meat um, or that maybe I'd gone fishing that day. So there was one thing that drove it, but primarily in that farmhouse, it was produce. So the um, massive amount of small plates that we have, the, the delicious little bites and, you know, we have a very few amount of, uh, of large plates. I think it's only five that we offer. And that's really because, you know, when you come to those homes, that sharing is a part of it. And so we wanted to embody that as much as possible. 
Absolutely. Uh, It's so wonderful how you are sharing that. And I'm sure all your guests really appreciate that. The the menu, I happen to notice that you're also offering breakfast. And uh, here on the farm, we just love big farm breakfast. But I also happen to notice that you offer a coffee flower um, granola for breakfast. And we can certainly talk a little bit more about coffee flower down the road. But uh, that's really exciting how you came up with that recipe. Yeah, you know, the, I guess that for me, I, I, I looked at, you know, what we, what I termed the restaurant as is, you know, it's a tagline of a modern Northwest farmhouse. And, um, and that modern bit is that we all, I mean, uh, we are, are all very conscious about what we're eating now and growing more and more aware of, where our ingredients come from, where our products come from, who's making them, and, and oftentimes the importance in the story by where that comes from. So for me, I, I looked at my involvement with coffee flour and looking forward to sharing that as well. Um, I just looked at what a great opportunity to hold a recipe like granola, something simple and easy that can lend taste, nutrients, uh, appearance, and ultimately, you know, a great um, environmental and economical cause for the, the places that are growing the coffee. I said, we're going to have to do this. And so we actually have coffee bar granola at breakfast, and we have it in our dinner menu on one of the desserts, which is a real treat. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh I'm curious how you actually source your local produce and, you know, making sure that it's the freshest and celebrating all that beautiful Northwest delicious produce and foods. How do you source that? You know, I, I think I've, I learned at a young age and uh, somebody 14 or 15, my mom said that, you know, your life is going to be a lot about the relationships that you, you know, you can foster. And so, um, that is really about the relationships I've been able to foster. Um, we have we have a great farmer over in Walla Walla. Um, actually, now three that we're dealing with, but one primarily that grows probably forty percent of our menu. Um, we we subset, Well, we we add on to that with two to three others here in Duval, which is you know about fifteen minutes from the Redmond Microsoft campus. And uh, Duval's got a great growing region now. And throughout the summer, from really March until October, we're seeing seasonal produce out of there. Um, south of us in Enumclaw and north of us to Skagit, we have a couple of other farmers that we're using. And so we, we've been really lucky to year by year by year grow these relationships. And, you know, part of that does mean that in order for us to commit to a certain relationship, we may have to pay more for, let's just say, strawberries. Right. Um, but what we're getting is, you know, we're putting money in these strawberries or if I'm buying, let's say, a full crop from one of my farmers, like um, honey nut squash. Last year, I bought 1,100 pounds of honey nut squash from one of my farmers. If we're able to do that, though, it also helps that farmer to grow his or her farm. And then we have more opportunities season by season to grow our relationship. So it's really in the heart of it, it's, you know, it, it, a relationship like ours can never be about what is good for one, rather what is yes. good for everyone. That is an amazing uh, thing to think about as we all sort of develop our businesses or whatever projects we're doing, to really always look at the relationship aspect, like you're saying. Well, it sounds like you have some wonderful relationships going and a special team that kind of fosters those relationships. And uh, you must have made a lot of delicious squash <laughs> that uh, from those recipes. So uh, that's just incredible. We... Um, You know, local relationships are also part of sharing stories and that connection. And you had just touched on uh, your mom and that special relationship. Uh, Please tell us a little bit more about your mom and that how how she's been involved in your journey and your chef journey. Sure. Well, you know, um, I'll probably say it with a little sarcasm, like I think most sons do. You know, my um, my mom was uh, was very involved in I guess my, my upbringing. Obviously, um, she was a single parent, so had uh, two boys and and two crazy boys, I might say. Um, <laughs> but you know, she was very influential in in showing me 
what to do. Um, a lot of it was, it was a lot less of, you know, here's what you should do with your life and here's how you should do things rather than just showing me by, by your actions, which is often the most strongest way of approaching things, I believe. So I had a, I had a really great representation or a really great example of, you know, how to get successful in an industry I chose. Um, however, my mother was, um, was not in the same, not on the same page I was about, you know, becoming a chef and the opportunities there. So I, I remember coming back from Singapore and uh, I was starting a job as a chef de cuisine, which was, you know, pretty much second in command in this restaurant. And I was, you know, moving up in my management career. And, and I thought it was just, a, you know, cat's meow. And I said, I said, hey, you know, this it's a good opportunity with this restaurant. And she says, great. So when are you going to finish college? <clears throat> and she says, cool. I'm, I'm going to go in this direction. And she says, yeah, but let me know when you finish college first. Um, so it wasn't until we opened up our first restaurant, my wife and I opened up our first restaurant that she kind of said, well, that's it. It looks like you've actually done it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, we, ours is a, is a positive relationship. It's a good one where, uh, you know, I, I was again, able to see, uh, through great examples of, you know, the tenacity it takes to be successful and the tenacity it takes to, and the hard work it takes ultimately to get someplace. Absolutely. It's, it sounds like that's something that you do every day, though, Chef Jason. Absolutely. Your dedication really shows through all that you're doing, uh, which is fantastic. Did During those times when you did open that first restaurant, uh, were you still able to take time for some of the things that you love? Like, I know you like to... to do ice hockey. Were you able to, to still do those sorts of things or you were just really focused on your restaurant? You know, every, every restaurant we've opened, um, you know, we, we've done three now, four, if you, you count our bar, um, that my wife, Nicole and I own. And, uh, I'd say that everyone that we've opened, we have, have this relationship almost like a child would, or maybe a puppy. I guess a puppy is more um, appropriate here because a puppy grows up fairly quick. Now, you know, they don't get to be as cognizant and, and smart, say, as our children do, but it takes a lot lot less time for them to get to a point where they're a little bit less um, uh, in need of our daily attention. So, fresh out of it, our first one, um, Nicole and I built it, actually, from the ground up, did the remodel, and so that was a good, really a good year and a half, two years of us just really getting in there. Um, Miller's Guild was about a good year, and then the Lake House, I think, will be probably you know, a good two years before I really start to back off at all and uh, start working on other projects. But having said that, it's important to balance life, and you know, life is just too darn short to not take time out. So by um, you know, being all in something, I think it's always important to be able to have time away. So I, um, you know, we opened six weeks ago at the Lake House, and... I will have uh, next week, I'm taking my son fly fishing uh, locally here in the Yakima Canyon. And we'll be having the week after we're going out and doing something else from paddle boarding in the sound. So definitely balance is important. Oh, absolutely. Well, I also know that you do so many wonderful things for the community. Chef Jason, you do many community dinners, bringing together the community, fundraisers, and um that is something that really makes such a difference for the Seattle area. What's your next community event? Great timing for that question, actually. Um, so if for anyone that's raised a child, um, and I have just uh, one boy, but uh, for anyone that's raised a child and had the um, unfortunate time to take their child either being sick or an injury to a children's hospital, um, you know, we, we have children's hospitals obviously around the, the nation, but that's a very stressful, difficult time. So, uh, in yes. two weeks, I'll be going to, uh, to a residence. I think we've sold a dinner for $18,000. It's a 10 person meal. And that $18,000 is going to go directly to raise money for children's hospital. And that's through the auction of Washington wines. So we're, it's this summer is just a great time to well, answer that, ask that question. But 
ultimately be able to do this as well because a lot of chefs in the area come together to do just this, which is, you know, raise money for our local children's hospital. Well, I really wish you well with that. That is such a special event that you're doing. So thank you so much for doing that. Children's Hospital is is really makes such a difference in so many people's lives there in Seattle. So thank you so much. Um, well, I love how you talked about balancing life. And uh, I know you put your heart into things that you do and you're so dedicated and um, on top of doing these community dinners and, of course, making sure the Lake House restaurant is going well, you also are uh, executive chef at Coffee Flower Company, and we can't wait to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to be taking a quick break, uh, and we'll be right back to talk more with Chef Jason about Coffee Flower and all its amazing uses. Thanks for being here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com My favorite coffee story is brought to you by Anikona Farm, where every bean we grow represents a great story somewhere in the world. When you buy coffee from Anikona Farm, you're investing in new memories, stories, and experiences. We harvest our beans with your future story in our heart. So, from our heart to yours, enjoy the Anikona experience. May your coffee story be as rich and delicious as our Kona coffee with love. Please visit Anikona.com and get your Anikona Story coffee special today. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to My Favorite Coffee Story with Aniko Samoji. Drop us a line and share your story. Our email address is orders at anikona.com. Again, that's orders at anikona.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to My Favorite Coffee Story, where we are live at Anikona Farm in beautiful Halualoa, Hawaii, right above Kona. And we have our special guest, Chef Jason Wilson, with us today, um, Chef Jason is a James Beard Award-winning chef and executive chef and creative director of um, product development at the Coffee Flower Company. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Coffee Flower. So please tell us, Jason, how you got involved with Coffee Flower. Uh, Great story, and thank you very much again for having me. Um, I I love telling this. Um, So I had... And try and make it as quick as I can too. <laughs> so I had I had done a dinner in 2006 uh, and met a gentleman that worked for Starbucks at the time, and he had he was doing blending and roasting for the company, um, and we had we had worked together with my wife Nicole to create a special um, Starbucks blend for a dinner we did for Food and Wine magazine. So we we maintained our friendship over the years, and in 2012, at the, in December of 2012, my friend Scott came into my restaurant crush and he said, hey, I, I need you to tell me what you can make with this. And he holds up this plastic bag with, you know, uh, looks like cocoa powder, brown powder inside of it. And I said, what is it? And he goes, all right, you know about coffee and you know how the cherry gets discarded. And I said, sure. And he goes, well, we've figured out how to take the cherry and how to stabilize it, dry it, and this is the powder. And I said, wow, that's cool. So let me see what I can do. And two weeks later, I called him up and I said, can I get more? <laughs> and the, the response <laughs> is, no, you, you, don't, you don't get any more. Uh, what did you do with it? Did you, did you make anything? And I said, oh, man, we made 
We made some financiers, little nut cakes. We made um, a chocolate ice cream with it and bound the ice cream. I said, we made a little bit of pasta dough. That was really cool. He goes, well, can I taste it? And I go, no, we ate it. It was really good. (laughs) So long story short, they um, figured out how to get more up because they had um, technically brought it across the border, not knowing, you know, put it in their coffee. And um, brought in more from Mexico this time. They flew it up and took about two months. And then we started to, you know, get in there and play with it. And, you know, my, my approach with these things, I think ultimately is I like to be able to say yes in, in my business as a restaurateur. So when, um, when this opportunity came up to work with this, I said, yeah, let me figure out what I can do. And uh, now I just look at everything and say, is it possible to put coffee flour in here, here, here? And, you know, and now we've, we've learned so much more about it. Well, your recipes have been so creative. What's fascinating about coffee flour is that it also has a lot of great nutrition, and it's gluten-free. Tell us a little bit more about the nutrition, please, of coffee flour. Well, when we think about nutrition, um, one of the things I think about is, is fiber. So we can start there. Um, coffee flour is made from the cherry, of the, you know, the coffee cherry, the Arabica cherry. So that fiber that comes from that cherry or fiber that comes from any cherry in particular is, uh, is very large. Coffee cherry is about 50%, half of which is soluble fiber. So it's really good for you in that sense. You then look at uh, antioxidants, 28% antioxidants, protein levels, 12% protein. Um, and then you know, there's kind of this overwhelming um, other vitamins, as we call them, that make it a superfood category potassium, vitamin K, vitamin C, and A. And these are things that, you know, that nutrients-wise that give coffee flour maybe a, an advantage or a help or even a lift to other products. But then when you think about right. how it operates from a chef's point of view, having the protein and the fiber in there is great because it allows us to enhance gluten-free recipes and emulsify sauces and dressings without using animal. It's all plant-based. How fantastic. That's incredible. So what I love, too, is that coffee flour is essentially you're using something that is often wasted. These, uh, you know, red cherry skins are often just tossed. And I love how this is repurposing flour. And actually, it seems like there's a social impact element as well of coffee flour. Let's, could we talk a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, I'd love to. Um I'll tell you this in the, in the, in the, end, in the December of 2014, I had the good fortune to uh, travel with the CEO and founder of Coffee Flower, um, Dan Bellavo. Uh, we went to Nicaragua to visit not only the mills and the farmers, but to, to actually disperse payments to those farmers and mills, but also then to train some chefs in, in Managua, Nicaragua on how to use coffee flour. So, that, that trip was uh, one of the most pivotal things that happened in my life recently, but really influential. So we were able to go, and I was able to work with Nicaraguan chefs and cooks and teach them about the, the properties, the fiber, how to implement coffee flour into recipes. And see, the thing is, they all knew, they all knew of this. They all knew of the pulp, and they all knew of you know, the, the coffee pulp. So... It was almost like, you know, something that, you know, people were familiar with. So for, yes. you know, decades and generations, that coffee cherry, when it's, when the, the cherry and bean are separated at, at the mill, um, which is just part of the process of how we get coffee beans, um, when that is, when that separation happens, the bean is ultimately the pit. The bean is where the money is. And so that's what people are concerned with. And the cherry or the fruit is, uh, the pulp is kind of left to seconds. So because that's what, that pit is where the money is, the farmers were only paid for the weight of the pit. So oh, if you imagine growing 100% of your crop and being paid for 65% rather than 100% of your weight, you kind of go, right. wait a minute, um, that's something. So we were actually, I wouldn't say subsidizing, but we were adding back to their, the, the farmer's income up to 30% of their, their annual income, which is a great thing to empower the, you know, people in any nation. Um, and then Absolutely. environmentally, obviously taking that, that stuff out of 
the uh, wave stream is just pivotal. It's a, it's a big help. Oh, absolutely. So I also noticed that uh, you are doing not only like breads and chocolate and pastas and cereal, but also possibly energy drinks. Uh, please tell us a little more about the energy drinks. So the coffee flower has, you know, it's a, a, a slight amount of caffeine. And what I mean by that is that it's equivalent to dark chocolate. But um, energy drinks, uh, you know, and, and let's say uh, protein shakes and, and, and so forth, they need to have that, that protein in there. They need to have a little bit of caffeine, but they also need to be bound with something. And so the fiber content in coffee flour um, allows us to add a flavor. And frankly, the, the tannins and acids in coffee flour allows us to add a flavor. It goes great as chocolate, apple, strawberry, um, enhanced flavors. And then as well, add the fiber that's needed, add a little bit of protein boost that's needed as well, and then the ultimate, ultimate mouthfeel that goes along with it. And we've done, right. we've recently done teas. Um, and one of the other exciting things about nutritious stuff is that because of the tannins and acids in coffee flour um, and the binding capabilities it has, we're, we found that we're able to reduce the amount of sugar in uh, oil-based chocolates. So in your simple candy bars or, you know, your, your simple cakes that you might get at a convenience store or you might maybe, um, maybe kind of an entry-level chocolate or cake, those, when we, we add in up to 30% coffee flour in there and fortify it, we found that we reduce um, sugar levels, which has been a big win. So, healthy win. Oh, that's a, that's a huge healthy win, definitely, definitely. What are some of the new things um, going on at Coffee Flour? It sounds like, is there a book in the works? I'm so sorry, what was that? Oh, I was just wondering, is there by chance a book in the works about coffee flour? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so, um, and, and, you know, we are literally writing the book as we speak kind of thing. Um, we've seen, we see many recipes that we come up with on our own that we're putting into a category of, you know, these recipes are going to go to the book. But then we are also working with other major companies and, you know, large companies and small on creating products for them. So we're also kind of waiting and saying, okay, well, when that bar comes out or that, that hot chocolate comes out, then we can include that in our book as well. Um, yeah, oh, for, for the immediacy, what we end up doing is clients will ask us and customers and, you know, small and large, how do I use it? What do I, you know, what's an easy recipe to get going in? And we provide all the literature uh, both on our website and through our blog and through our um, Instagram account. So it's a, for us, it's a transparency, you know, and what we're trying to do ultimately is cure a problem and, and, and ultimately help a group of people, um, you know, to kind of make things equitable and empower them to make the choices in their life that they can while simultaneously oh, making delicious food. Absolutely. That is incredible, Chef Jason. Really, definitely incredible. You know, we've we've had such a wonderful time chatting today, hearing about your journey as a chef, hearing about your first coffee stories. Um, maybe if I may ask, you had a special coffee story with your mom and Paris, if, if you still would like to share that with our listeners. Yeah, and thanks for bringing it up. Um, I I fondly remember, um, you know, getting out of culinary school and towards the end there, and my my mother looked at me and said, so what do you want as a gift, as a congratulations gift for graduating? And, you know, it was was important to her that, you know, we had finished this, but, you know, I also had plans after school. And I said, you know, I'm only thinking that I'd love to have a cup of coffee or maybe just a double espresso. And there was a bit of a pause, and she looked at me, and she's like, that's it? And I said, yeah, just a double espresso. But I'd like for it to be in Paris. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she just cracked up. I think that we were having a glass of wine together at the time um, and celebrating. And she just cracked up and said, okay, well, that's what I'll do. And uh, she helped me to visit France first. So it was a nice little gift as a young man and, you know, helped to really solidify what I'm doing today, I think. Oh, that's such a wonderful story. And thank you so much for sharing that special story. That's what my favorite coffee story is all about, is taking moments to share and also just hear about those coffee stories that sort of 
define our lives, uh, weave through our lives, and weave through our relationships. And uh, it's been so special to share with you today. Um, I was wondering, as you now go back to the Lake House um, restaurant and et cetera, what's going to be on the rest of your agenda for this evening? Well, you know, tomorrow we have a, a little champagne dinner happening at the lake house for uh, about 16 people. So we're going to be using different mushrooms. We have some summer truffles, some local chanterelles, um, some lobster mushrooms, and morel mushrooms all at the same time. So we're going to be creating some special dishes with that. And um, I got in some melons. And <clears throat> I'm about to, you know, I'm about to say it. Hallelujah. Our first speeches just came from uh, Yakima Valley. So it's that time. And, and so, yeah, this is all going to go into that champagne dinner that's happening tomorrow night. Oh, so delicious. What do you think you're going to do with the peaches? Um, I think that we'll likely uh, just slice them and uh, leave the skins on because it's, it's promising to be warm this week. So we're going to slice them with a little bit of lamb prosciutto and some olive oil cured ricotta cheese. Uh, and then we have some of this um, really beautiful herb called anise hyssop. And so that should go well with the yeastiness of the champagne that we're serving. It's going to be with um, some crude vintage champagne. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, so grateful to you, Chef Jason Wilson, for joining us today on My Favorite Coffee Story. It's been so nice to hear about your coffee stories, and thank you so much for taking the time, and we wish you all the best with the Lake House Restaurant. Um, really appreciate hearing your stories. Well, thank you very much. It was a, a real pleasure and love to share. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much. Uh, if you would like to share as a listener, we would love to hear your coffee stories. We have uh, a website, myfavoritecoffeestory.com, and you can actually share your coffee stories there, and we will probably do a contest weekly. And I could also share your story live with my favorite coffee story, Voice America Variety Channel. We look forward to seeing you uh, next week. Tuesday. Thank you for joining us today. It's been fun on My Favorite Coffee Story. Thank you for taking an hour out of your busy week to join us on My Favorite Coffee Story. Please tune in again for another edition with your host, Aniko Samoji, next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, we hope you'll have a relaxing week.